Well, again, let me say good morning and welcome. And I want to say also thank you uh, to everyone who filled out that survey, that questionnaire last week. Uh, This week begins, oh, what a great Sunday to be at Coleman First Baptist. This week kicks off, launches, begins a brand new teaching series, a seven-part series. I'm calling it Every Member. And it corresponds with this Doctor of Ministry research project I'm doing. So there's several things that go along with this. And as Pastor BJ said, yes, every Sunday for the next seven Sundays, counting today, I'm going to ask you to fill out a sermon feedback form. And so you'll get that every Sunday. The same one is available. You may get an email like right after this service. Um, All I ask is that you wait until the sermon is over to fill it out. Uh, Don't be like, I heard about this golfer who filled in his scorecard before he even teed off. He's like, yeah, golf's easy. I got it. Uh, So go ahead and and wait. But that's part of this research and part of, and so your honest feedback will help me grow as a student and uh, looking forward to this. But it's not just this, this project. I'm excited about this teaching series. We're looking at what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a child of God? And by the end of this series, if you'll stay with us, if by the end of this series, I want you to have more joy than you have ever had about being part of the kingdom of God. I want you to have more assurance of your salvation, more assurance of your standing, more assurance of your sense of calling on your life to know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are part of the royal priesthood of God. And so every week the messages will follow the same pattern. Every member of blank and will fill in the blank with a noun and then we'll unpack that, talk about that and move on to the next one next week. So today's noun, every member of disciple. That's where we're going to start. Every member of Disciple. So today's message is all about what it means to be a disciple. That is uh, uh, not an easy word right now. It, you may not know, you may not know this, but in Christianity, there's actually a debate going on. And, and you may know this, you may have thought about this, you may never have articulated it in this way, but maybe you've thought this way. But there is a debate going on around this question. Can someone be a Christian and not also be a disciple? Can someone be a Christian and not a disciple? What's the thing like all all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares? You know, all Christians are not all. So so does that mean the same? And some people would say, that's just it. No, that means the same thing. A Christian is a disciple, and a disciple is a Christian. Others would say, no, first you become a Christian, then at some point later you become a disciple. So like a disciple is like an upgraded Christian, like Christian 2.0. So we should all know, like, are you like a regular Christian? Are you like King Lariat Platinum Christian with the leather seats? Or are you like regular Christian F-150? Like, where are you on that, on, right? So which is it? Here's the, the two sides of the debate. And I don't want you to think this is, that this is some esoteric thing that they talk about in theological, you know, uh, uh, ivory towers or something. That says everything to do with your life. If you're a follower of God, you want to know this. The two sides of the debate are this. One camp says no. One camp says, look, you cannot be a Christian and not also be a disciple. You are either a sold out, blood bought follower of Jesus or you're not. Sometimes people in this camp call themselves the Lordship Salvation doctrine. And they would say, after all, they would say, uh, you, he's, he's Lord and Savior. You can't take half that. 
You can't take, you can't say, I want him as Savior, but no thank you on Lord. Or maybe I'll get to Lord one day. He's Lord and Savior. It's not either or, it's both and. This group would further point out everywhere in the New Testament, I mean, the disciples called themselves disciples. They never called themselves Christian. Disciple is used 281 times in the New Testament. Christian is used three times in the whole Bible. And, and they didn't call themselves Christian. Other people called them Christians. It was a derogatory nickname for these, this, they didn't know what to do with this sect of Judaism. They said, well, they're followers of the way. We'll call them little Christ, Messiah people, little Christ, Christians. So they would say, look, if you think, they would conclude, this group would conclude, if you think you can get into heaven because you prayed some magical prayer and now you don't care anything about God or God's people, you are in grave danger. You are guilty of abusing cheap grace and all you're getting out of this whole transaction is eternal fire insurance. You ever heard that one? That's all you care about when it comes to, to, to Christianity. And so, so no, a person cannot be a Christian without also being a disciple, they would say. On the other hand, you have people who would say, well, yeah, all that may be true. But, and, and certainly there are people who call themselves Christian who are not, in fact, Christians. And that's very dangerous, and you need to know that, right? But there's also people who called themselves disciple that were not really disciples, like Judas, for example. Besides, if it, some people, you say, will abuse grace, this camp would say. Some people would abuse grace. But grace that can be abused is the only kind of grace there is. Grace with strings attached is not grace. And as for fire insurance, is it not wise to purchase fire insurance if there's an eternal fire coming? Why not? Their real problem is, is this. If you tell people you have to be a disciple or you're not even a Christian, that sounds very close to, it's not what they're saying, but it sounds very close to salvation by works. In other words, it's your ability to be a disciple that gets you into heaven. And that's not true. It's his mercy that saves you, not your ability to follow. And so there's this big debate. So which is it? They both make some great points. Which is it? Where do you land on this? Can a person be a Christian without being a disciple, or does it mean the same thing? Where do you land? Where should you land? Where does your pastor land? Where do I land on this debate? I'll tell you where I land. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Even if these people are right and you can like be a Christian and not be a disciple, even if you can like get into heaven, you know, and skin of your teeth and Jesus' mercy saves you, and I, I tend to fall on this side. Why would you not want to be a disciple? That's my point is, are we seriously having this debate? How can we possibly have this debate? Why would anyone want to be a Christian and not be a disciple? That makes no sense. That's like saying, okay, Jesus, I, I tell you what, I want to be a Christian. I just don't actually want to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a student. I don't want to learn how to live in this life. I just want you to take me to heaven when I die. So you will trust Jesus with your eternal soul, but you won't trust him for Tuesday morning? Jesus, I want to deal with you when I get to eternity. I just don't want to deal with you right now. What do you want, Jesus on layaway? Like, I, I will get to you, Jesus, right? Come on, you, you'll trust Jesus for your eternity, but you won't trust him on how to raise your teenager? You'll trust Jesus for eternity, but you won't trust him how to be an eighth grader for the glory of God? You'll trust him then, but not now? That makes no sense. And if, if, if someone were to say to me, if someone were to say to me, preacher, 
I'm willing to pray a prayer and accept Christ as my Savior, but then I have no intention of following him. And for the rest of my life, I want nothing to do with Jesus, and I don't, I don't want nothing to do with the church, and I don't want anything to do with God or God's people, and I just want to go to heaven when I die. Then I would just ask one question. If that's how you feel, what makes you think you would enjoy heaven at all if you get there? Can you imagine? I want nothing to do with Jesus or, or God's people my whole life. And then you get, guess who you will be with for all eternity? <laughs> Jesus and his people, right? This is no way to live. Let me again be clear, just so I'm not misunderstood. There is an imputed righteousness of Christ. That's a fancy way of saying Christ's right standing is imputed to guilty sinners. That is called justification. The problem is not that people don't need to know about justification or how to get to heaven. Yes, that's fine. But the problem comes in when justification, really when the gospel is reduced to how do I get into heaven when I die and I don't really care about anything beyond that. Oh, no, it's so much more. I heard somebody, one writer called these folks vampire Christians. Vampire Christians. Yeah, they don't want anything to do with Christ. They just want his blood. They just want a little bit of Christ's blood to cover their sins and nothing more to do with Jesus until they die. That's no way to live. That's no way to understand a relation. You've got an opportunity to be in relationship with the happiest being in the universe, God. Why would you not? Even if it's true, even if this camp is right, that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple, let me ask it again. Why, if the opportunity is available, why would you not want to be a disciple? I, I get it. I, I think I know why. And this is especially true for those of us who grew up in church. Uh, uh, those of us who grew up in church and burning ants with magnifying glass. Those things are not mutually exclusive. But if you grew up in this, when you were a disciple, some of you are like me, you, you get butterflies in your stomach. That word is a scary word. That word doesn't bring joy. That brings fear and anxiety. I don't want that. I want, by the end of this message, I want you to, when you think every member is a disciple, I want you, I want your experience to be delight. I'm a disciple. Why would you not feel that way? I think, for one thing, unsure about what disciple means. If you're not a believer, you know, if you don't, if you don't know the Bible or you're new to all this, disciple sounds sort of cultish, right? Come be a disciple, right? We wear burial shrouds and do weird rituals. Eh. Well, uh, a lot of us, it's just simple. I, I'm not sure I can live up. What if I fail? I'm not very consistent in anything else. I won't be very consistent in my following of, of Jesus. And doesn't the Bible say some scary stuff about disciples? Well, what if I become, I'm just going to be a saved Christian. That's enough for me. Whew. That's enough for me. I'm just, I'm just, you know, average. <laughs> I'll just be Christian 1.0. There's no need to upgrade. Um, because if I become a disciple, God may call me to be a missionary to a scary country. It's going to cost too much. After all, look in the New Testament. Every time Jesus talks about discipleship, it's usually followed by something scary, right? If Jesus begins a sentence with, if anyone would come after me, just run. Run for your life, right? Because what happens next is either homelessness or death or a cross, right? And so people are scared of this word. Oh, but that's because we don't have a good definition of disciple. If you've ever felt that way, if you've ever found yourself thinking any of these things, you're going to love this passage of scripture where Jesus calls the first disciples. Turn to Mark chapter 1, and you are going to be encouraged by this. This is going to put fresh wind in your sails. Mark chapter 1 is going to give us, and we're going to unpack it slowly, a definition of how Jesus defines disciple. Not how you've thought or maybe haven't thought, mm, how Jesus 
describes and defines it. Mark chapter 1, start in verse 14. If you've ever found yourself a little nervous when you hear that word disciple, you're going to love this. This is obviously the story starting in Mark 1.14. This is the story of Jesus beginning his ministry. And right at the outset, he calls the first disciples. The action picks up just after John the Baptist was arrested. Here we go. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus saying, ta-da, it's here. I'm here. Who's on board? This is not a passive invitation. The kingdom is at hand means it's available here and now. Not in the, in the sweet by and by. It's available there too, but it's available here and now. This is not a passive invitation. This is an active invitation. Did any of you grow up where you, you were allowed to, uh, you had fun playing outside all day long? Did any of you, and, and your mom would call you in for dinner? Any of you have this experience? Dinner! Kids! 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 Dinner! I'm right here, Mom. I'm on my iPad. <laughs> like, I'm talking about like, out in the, you know what I mean? What, what, or maybe you had a dinner bell, you know, if you grew up like way out in the, you know what I'm talking about, right? It could be all over the phone. Kids, dinner! Let me ask you something. Is that an active invitation or a passive invitation? When Mama yelled, dinner! Does that mean you, keep, you stay right where you are doing whatever you want to do, and Mama's going to come bring you dinner wherever you are? Is that what that means? No, that comes with an expectation, <laughs> dinner stop whatever you're doing right you're standing there about to spear your buddy with a bamboo stick and he's about to you know whatever you're involved in kids you know it was a different day you drop all that why because the kingdom is at hand and in this case right the, mama is serving dinner now come on let's go jesus is saying the kingdom is at hand drop everything and let's go why would you not it's available. It's here. This is an active invitation. You've got to respond. And there's something beautiful about this. And then he goes right into doing that. He goes into right into asking disciples to follow him. What's beautiful, and this is a bit of an aside, Jesus doesn't actually need disciples. You know that, right? Look at that verse. He preached the gospel of God. He did it. Jesus could do all this by himself, which means he doesn't need us, which means the only reason you're here is because he doesn't need you. He wants he could do it all without us, but he invites us into his work. And here he invites these fishermen, these first disciples. Look at verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, it is very tempting as a preacher to dive into the other gospels in the telling of this story. Because the other gospels give you so much more details. If you just had Mark, you would think Jesus, I mean this is incredible. Fishing, 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 come follow me. I will follow you, right? Like Jesus has this Jedi ma mind trick. Where he just, these are not the disciples you're looking for. And they come and go with him, right? The other gospels give you more details. In fact, if your Sunday school follows the Explore the Bible curriculum, your lesson today is Luke 5. It tells, it unpacks this uh, 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 further. But, uh, I mean, get, otherwise, you read this, you're like, you know, bye, Dad, we're going with the guy in sandals. Have a nice life. It, it's, not, it's not how it happened. They had a relationship with Jesus. Anyway, it's tempting. But I'm not going to do that. 
Let's just stick to Mark because the simplicity of Mark's version actually helps us if we're trying to nail down a disciple of Jesus. Look at the simplicity. Here's what a disciple is. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Let's review. Follow me, a disciple who is someone who follows Jesus as a student, apprentice. And I will make you to become a disciple who is willing to be changed by Jesus, fishers of men. A disciple makes other disciples of Jesus. Let's unpack these one at a time, and then we'll be done. You ready? Follow me. Write that down. If you're a note taker, follow me. Here's what it means to be a disciple. First, a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. You know, it's someone who literally follows Jesus. Obviously, the apostles, which were the first disciples, those apostles that were there with Jesus, now we can be disciples. They got to follow him physically while he was here on earth. Well, Jesus isn't physically here. And so when it, when it says follow, in the same way for the original disciples, it means more than just physically follow. When a disciple followed a rabbi, they were hoping to learn from that rabbi. They wanted to be able to do what he could do or know what he knew. So the word disciple really is best translated student or apprentice. Here's why I like apprentice better than student. When you hear student, you think school, you think head knowledge. So Jesus is up here with a whiteboard. And he's giving you all this information. Now, here's the ordo salutis, S-A-L, disciples. Okay, it's Latin. Okay, okay. Eh. Apprentice is you've got a skill, and I will join myself to you so that I learn what you know. I want to be able to do what you can do. I don't just want the head knowledge. I want to know how to do this stuff. So become an apprentice. I love this. Become an apprentice to Jesus. Now, right here, this should give you great hope that you, even you, absolutely you, can know for certain today you can absolutely be a disciple of Jesus. Why? Because disciple means apprentice of Jesus. And this is where I think we make discipleship way more complicated than it has to be. Are you or are you not an apprentice of Jesus? You wouldn't have to think twice if I asked you that question in any other area of your life. If you were taking piano lessons, you have become an apprentice to your piano teacher, and you are learning uh, how to play piano. If I came to you and said, hey, are you, uh, are you taking piano lessons? You wouldn't hem and haul. You wouldn't be like, mm, I don't know. You, it's either yes or no. Yes, I'm currently learning how to play piano, right? You wouldn't think, well, I don't know. I'm really bad at piano. Maybe I'm not. You would, eh, that's, I'm an apprentice. If you desire to be a welder, you go down here to Wallace and you enroll in, an, a prog in a program where you can become an apprentice to be a welder. And you're learning a new trade. You're learning how to become a welder. If I saw you at church the next Sunday and I'm like, hey man, how's that going? Are you still in that class to be a welder? Are you still learning to be a welder? You wouldn't think, well, I'm not very good at welding, so I don't know how to answer that. I have no assurance of enrollment. It's yes or no. You're either learning to be a welder or you're not, right? So whether it is piano lessons, you may be a good piano player, you may be a bad player. Whether it is welding or in a very, very, very small subset, there's, uh, there's schools that uh, a teacher would offer both piano lessons and welding. Very small group, niche group. 
But you would know. You may be a good piano player, you may be a bad piano player. But you would know the name of your teacher and you would know whether or not you're enrolled. You may be a good welder, you may be a bad welder, but you would know whether or not. So, so, so when it comes to life, or what, you take welding lessons because I want to be able to do what you do. You take piano lessons. I want to be able to play how you play. When it comes to life, you're looking around going, I want to enroll in the school of Rabbi Jesus because Jesus got the goods, man. I want to be able to do life like he does it. I want to be able to respond like he responds. I want to learn in the school of Jesus. What are some of the courses offered at the school of Jesus? I wrote down some popular courses. Here are some of his syllabi. Here's one. Jesus teaches this popular course to his apprentices. How to have the kind of heart so that your first response would be to bless someone who is literally spitting on you. 101. Very popular course. Here's one. How to have the kind of purity in your heart that makes you not even want to sin lustfully anymore. Here's one. How to have the kind of mind that is so filled with joy, your first thought in the morning is gratitude, not grumbling. Here's one. How to have the kind of love for others that honestly, it's, it's like actually hard for you to even get angry anymore. How to have the kind of wisdom to make your life go right. When it comes to being a disciple or an apprentice, listen carefully. You may be a new apprentice. You may be a brand new student of Rabbi Jesus. If so, welcome. School's in. Glad you're here. You may be, more likely, many of you, you may be a very mature student. Some of you may be very far along in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Others of you may not be very far along. I think every disciple knows they should be further along than they are. I felt it, you felt it, you're either feeling it right now or you felt it at some point. And in the school of Jesus, as an apprentice, you're thinking, I keep getting held back. <laughs> I should be a lot further along. I've done like third grade in Jesus school way too many times. Everybody's felt that. Stay in the school. You have a teacher who loves you Listen, who is patient with you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to beat you up for making a mistake. That's what apprentices do. They make, them, they make mistakes. They take correction. And Jesus, your teacher, as an apprentice of Jesus, listen, he has given you a promise. He is not going to give up on you until he sees this thing through to the end. Paul talks about that in Philippians. He who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. So, if you have never seriously intended to be an apprentice of Jesus, do so today. You say, how can it be that simple? I'll tell you how. It's in the Bible. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. Repent, believe, let's go. Dinner, y'all. Let's go. If you've never intended to enroll as an apprentice in the school of Jesus, why don't you ask him at this service, Lord, make me your apprentice. I want to be a disciple, and I want to be fired up about being a disciple. Why would you not? He's, he knows how to make life go. So, the kingdom is here. He's patient. Stay in the school. It's progress, not perfection. A disciple is an apprentice. That leads directly to the second point. Follow me, and this is a very often misquoted verse from Mark. Follow me, many of us have quoted this verse from Mark incorrectly. Follow me, we say, and I will make you fishers of men. Is that what that verse says? Look carefully. 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will snap my fingers and boom, you're going to go from being a lost sinner to fisher of men. Is that what that says? One more time. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's progress, not perfection. A disciple, therefore, first of all, is an apprentice to Jesus. But notice this, I will make you become, look at the second point. A disciple is willing to be changed by Jesus. And for most of us, this does not happen overnight. This happens over time. Some of you have this testimony. It's rare. I've heard it. And if this is you, you need to thank the good Lord. But just know you're rare. I have had people tell me when God saved me, he took the desire for such and such sin or addiction. He took it away, and I never felt it, never struggled with that temptation again. That's awesome. That's rare. That's okay. I mean, praise the Lord for it. And I don't doubt him. He can do great things, and he has done that. So, so, so awesome. Everybody here? But become reminds me that for many of us, this lifelong journey, the big, the big word is sanctification, this process of being made holy. It's a process. This is another reason why I love the word apprentice. No apprentice would make a mistake and be like, well, that's it. I'm off the team. I'll never make it, you know. Nobody learning cursive for the first time. I can't get this right. I'll never, I'll never write again. Right? No, you don't know everything. You're an apprentice. That's the point of being an apprentice. You're like, oh, I go take piano lessons and all she does is correct me. Yes! <laughs> That's her job. One of the, isn't it great? One of the great things about the Gospels, one of the refreshing I guess the refreshing realism of the Gospels is that when Jesus took his original 12 apprentices, the vast majority of interactions between Jesus and the disciples are him correcting them. It's not how they did everything right. It's how they did everything wrong. Correcting over and over. Dallas Willard says it this way, one can be a very raw and incompetent beginner and still be a disciple. It's part of the process. In fact, the more God is correcting you, the more it proves you're part of his family. So an apprentice, a disciple, is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or become what that person is, Willard would say. And I would agree. So an apprentice now has got to be willing to be changed in some areas. I'm willing to learn, Jesus. I, I want you to change me. A disciple is a man, woman, boy, or girl who says, I want to change into the kind of person who lives my life as if Jesus, how Jesus would live it if Jesus were living it in 2021. Jesus lived an unrepeatable life. He came as a once-for-all sacrifice to die. So you're not asked to do that. You're asked to live your life the way Jesus would through you if he were here. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. You don't have to live Jesus' life. He did that. He did it perfectly. You're asked to live your life how Jesus would if he were living your occupation or your life. Uh, uh, so ask yourself every morning. An apprentice says this, Lord, you're going to have to change me today because I want to know one thing. How would Jesus work as an engineer at Redstone Arsenal in 2021? WWJC, how would Jesus commute? <laughs> he would probably spell it HWJ because it's how. He would have gotten that right, not whatever. Uh, how would Jesus farm? How would Jesus farm? 
Would he leave the edges of the rose for the gleaning? That's a previous sermon. How would Jesus do his taxes? How would, Je- how would Jesus, if Jesus were a third grade teacher in Coleman, Alabama, how would Jesus teach a bunch of third graders? Follow up, how would he do it on Zoom? How would Jesus live as a retiree? If Jesus were in your shoes, you're considering retirement, what does Jesus think of retirement? What does it look like for him? How would Jesus do retirement? How would Jesus grandparent his grandchildren if he were a grandma in 2021? How would he live through you? Does you understand? That's what an apprentice wants to know. Why? Because an apprentice of Jesus is bold enough, and this is bold, it's bold enough to say Jesus is the smartest engineer that's ever lived. Jesus is the smartest chemist that's ever lived. I know a lot of chemists that can tell you all about the molecules of fish, and they can tell you all the molecules of bread, but they never took five loaves of bread and two fish and broke those molecules and fed 5,000 people. He's a better chemist than any chemist we've ever had. He's a better physicist than any physicist we've ever had. He is the best teacher. He is the best preacher, pastor, leader. He, he, he's the master of every field, every profession, every trade. He's the best welder. He's the best welder because Ephesians says he took us who were at enmity with God and he welded us into a family. You can put steel together, but how are you going to put Jew and Gentile together in the family of God? He's the best welder. Anyway, you get my point. So you're saying, Jesus, you can make life go right. You've got the goods. And, 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 and I want that. I want to be able to do what you do. That's what an apprentice does. I want to weld like this guy. I want to play piano like she does. Okay, Jesus... So here's what I'm going to do. If I'm going to be a welder who's apprenticed to this guy, I have to trust. At no point can I say, listen, professor, here's how I use a torch. We're not interested in your opinion, okay? You're here, and, and you say, but that's not how I would do it. Exactly. That's why you're the apprentice, and I'm the master teacher, the welder would say. Fair? So in the same way, Jesus is going to say some stuff that is not natural to us. We who are apprentices to Jesus... It's not going to be natural. You will have to come to a place where you trust his opinion over what feels natural to you to make life go right. I'm going to say that again. To be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, an apprentice, willing to be changed means you'll have to come to a place where you trust his opinion over what feels natural to you. I have a friend who is a really good golfer. And... uh, I'm a terrible golfer. I, I, I go once a year. Have a great time. I have more fun than most guys who are good at golf. Uh, I, I fill in my scorecard before we start. And it's, just kidding. Um, but anyway, he's a really good golfer, and he was describing to me that um, <clears throat> he uh, ha, ha, got, got, got pretty good but couldn't break through the, to the next level and really wanted to achieve lower and lower scores. And so he met with a golf pro, and the golf pro spent some time and analyzed his swing and told him, Um, that I can solve your problem. And he did. And he gave him a brand new swing. And he said, it was so, here I am, 30-something years old, and I've been playing golf for 20 years, and I've, I've, I've got this swing just the way, and it feels so natural and so comfortable. And here this golf pro says, you can't do that anymore. But this is totally unnatural. So, you want a better swing or not? You want to fix it or not? You want to be able to play like I do? This is what you have to do. And here's, here's what he said. He said, it was so unnatural especially for those first few months, the only thing I had to go on was, well, I trust this guy. It was my trust that made me push through. I said, well, how did I go? He goes, terrible. My scores went, they, 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 went, they, they got worse, not better. 
It was terrible. But I kept after it because I trust his opinion. He knows what he's doing. I trust him. I did what felt unnatural, and things actually got worse before they got better. But I trusted him until, until, he said, I broke through. And now what was what's unnatural is natural. And I'm so glad I trusted his opinion. I didn't trust myself. I'm sitting there writing down. He's like, what are you doing? I go, this is why preachers play golf. This is sermon illustration gold. <laughs> yeah. You get it? You, you're going to have to do some things as a disciple of Jesus that feel utterly unnatural. And all you've got to go on is, does he know what's right or do you? Do you know it is utterly unnatural? It goes against everything in your flesh. The most natural thing in the world is to hoard every penny you make and spend it only for yourself. But my teacher says, it's better to give than to receive. So I'm going to be generous with my money, and I'm going to trust you, Jesus, because this does not feel natural. But I'm going to trust you. The most natural thing in the world, when somebody, cur- when somebody lashes out at you, what is the most natural thing in the world? The most natural thing in the world is to lash out right back. Jesus says, bless those that curse you. That is unnatural. And that feels really weird. But I trust you. I trust that you know how to make life go right. So I'm going to bless those that curse me in trust and faith, obedience to you. It sure feels more natural to, to stay safe and not tell anyone that I'm a follower. Jesus says, don't be ashamed. Be bold. Let people know you're my apprentice. Okay, Lord. It sure feels weird, but I trust my teacher. So you got to trust. A disciple, let's review is an apprentice of Jesus, willing to be changed by Jesus, will you trust him to let him change you? Are you willing to become whatever Jesus wants to make of you? Because here's the thing. When it comes to being an apprentice, here's the thing. Jesus can do this thing that all great teachers can do. And there are great teachers right here in this room, so I'm talking to some of you. But even if you're not a teacher, you had a great teacher, and you'll know exactly what I mean. All great teachers have this one thing in common. All great teachers can do this one thing. All the great teachers can see potential in the student long before the student can see it in himself. Long before the student can see it, the great teacher sees it in them and can draw it out. And they believe in that kid, right? And I mean, from a student's perspective, it'll never happen. I'll never get piano. I'll never learn welding. Right? Little kids in school right now. There's there's this fourth grade teachers that can see in them what the kid. I'll never get fractions. And the teacher says, "Yeah, you're only halfway there. Yeah, half." Teacher's like, "That's a fraction." (laughs) Mr. Miyagi, like, there's this great sense that a teacher see. Do you know that's happening with you, apprentice of Jesus? You may say, I'm not very far along in this. I'm not very good. Jesus walks up on these fishermen, and he can see in Peter before, what what, what Simon Peter can, he can even see his name's Peter. Right now, he's just called Simon. Jesus sees in these guys what they cannot see. That's what great teachers do, and that's what Jesus is doing in your life right now. He sees, oh, he's got a plan for you. You have no idea where he's going to take. Will you trust your teacher. Jesus could look at Peter and he saw Peter preaching like fire on the mountain of Pentecost when that good old boy couldn't put two words together. Jesus saw Andrew as a missionary to the far flung what is modern day Russia. Andrew thought he'd never live, he'd he'd never leave those five miles of Galilee. And there's James and John. What do those guys have to offer? I mean their whole life is ho-hum, fish today, fish tomorrow. 
My daddy was a fisherman. His daddy was a fisherman. The whole zibbity crowd. zibbity doo dah <laughs> Ain't never going to be anything different. Just waiting on something to happen. Jesus could see what they could not see. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to do miracles. We're going to raise the dead. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be fire at Pentecost. I mean, he can see in you what you can't see. So Jesus does this thing, apparently, where he loves you. He meets you right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. Now, are you willing to be changed by your teacher? Are you starting to see how wonderful and exciting an opportunity it is to be an apprentice to Jesus? Let's wrap up. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. So the third and final point, fishers of men. A disciple makes other disciples for Jesus. Fishers of men has always struck me as a really odd analogy. And it is odd if you press the analogy too far. I always think fishers of men. That is such a great illustration for the evangelist. That's not so good for the fish. <laughs> Go, get the sinners, drag them lifeless into the boat where they die and you eat them. It's hard to know what to do with this at first. It could be a reference to Jeremiah 16. In Jeremiah 16, God says, I got these, my people are spread out everywhere. I will send forth fishers to gather them and hunters to bring them back to the land. Um, but then it says, and I know their iniquity. So scholars don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Are the hunters the pagan nations that are going to go wipe them out? Or are they like the good guys that are going to rescue? We don't know. But every commentary I read pointed this out. In the ancient Near East, to an ancient Israelite, the sea is not like we think of the sea. We love to go to, we pay big money to go to a beach vacation. The sea is calm and tranquil and relaxing, not to an ancient Israelite. No, 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 no. The sea was a place of darkness and chaos. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, what's he saying? Guys, you got some friends right now that are lost in darkness and chaos. And church, don't you have a friend or two that right now is in darkness and chaos? Hmm? Don't you have a coworker that is darkness and chaos? And they're scared and they're filled with anxiety and their life is a wreck. They're in darkness and chaos. But Jesus can heal them. Jesus can save them. Y'all, we got to get them to Jesus. Go be a fisher of men. Go pull that mother, that child, that, that father, that son, that friend, that coworker, even that enemy. Oh, be a fisher of men. A disciple makes other disciples. The darkness has swallowed up too many of our friends. Let's get them to Jesus. Well, that's it. Why would, again, again, why would anyone not want to be a disciple? When you hear disciple, I want you, to, I want bells to go off. I want you to think, yes, this is what I want, to be an apprentice of Jesus, who of course is willing to be changed. But listen, you're going to be a disciple of someone or something. You, did you know that? You are right now a disciple of someone or something. Someone or something is discipling you. You've apprenticed yourself. You're learning how to live from somewhere. And parents, let's be real. The world is happy to disciple your children. They would love nothing more. They're ready right now to disciple. They've got a curriculum. And they'll, they'll tell, they've got a curriculum for how... Oh, but Jesus has a different curriculum. So you got to decide who, who can make life go right. Who can you trust? You're going to trust your money. You're going to trust your wealth. You're going to trust youth and beauty or popularity or some idol. Or are you going to say, against all odds, no, 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 it's Jesus. That, that one, that one's got the goods. That one is who I want to pattern my life after. That one is who can live his life through me. See, that's what it comes down to. Once you see Jesus for who he is, 
And I know for some people it happens in a flash. For others, it's a long process. But once it dawns on you that Jesus is the ultimate authority, the greatest that has ever been, once you see him as worth everything, there is no price you wouldn't pay to be his apprentice. You mean I got a chance to be an apprentice to Jesus of Nazareth? Sign me up. I'll pay any price. And now the verses about discipleship make sense. When you realize who he is, all the verses make you'd sell everything. Your love for him would make your love for mom and dad look like hate. That's how much you want that. Uh, remember Jesus' stories about discipleship? He says the kingdom, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he went, he hid it again and then went and so in his joy sold all he had and bought that field. Again, I say the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the pearl of great price, he went and sold everything he had to buy that pearl. The dude with the treasure in the field the dude shopping for the pearl at no point thought about the cost. It wasn't about the cost. It was about the bargain. They were not scared. They sold everything they had. They weren't scared of the cost. The only thing that scared them was that they might miss out. That's what it means to be a disciple. Are you kidding? To, to get the chance to be in a, a print that the kingdom is here? Are you serious? Dinner is ready? I don't want to miss out. I'm, uh, uh, so, 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 so Dallas Willard talks about this. The kingdom is at hand. And he's an, uh, a deceased philosopher. But you don't have to go to deceased philosophy. Justin Bieber says the same thing. In his song about matrimony, he says, I'm running to the altar like a track star. Can't wait another second. That's the heart we want. Now you could maybe say that uh, Justin Bieber has a lot of things otherwise to work through. But if you did, I would say this. But give me somebody who says, when God's calling me to be obedient, I'm running to the altar like a track star. Can't wait another second. I can work with that. That's a believer. <laughs> I, 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 can I can work with that. Some people would say that's how they got saved. And you need to get that back. That's how you got saved. I thought, one lady this week told me, that's how I got saved. I said, what do you mean? She said, I was in a country church, and I, I was so ready to get right with God. I was so ready to hit that altar. And in their church, you know, they came forward, and that's how they, they signified their response. And, then, and she said, I just kept thinking that preacher was preaching. I was like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. She said, that's exactly how I felt. I wanted to run to the altar like a track star. Can't wait another second. That's it. Why would you not? And when you really, but you, it takes time to see Jesus that way. That way that, that's why Jesus didn't start the disciples with, oh, hey, guys. I'm Jesus. Uh, let's go around and introduce. Okay. Um, so come follow me. Peter, you're going to uh, get crucified upside down. Um, John, you're going to end up in exile. One of you is going to be boiled alive. I'm not going to tell you. It's one of you. Um, he doesn't start with all that. But what happens over time is you begin to realize there's nothing and no one I treasure more than my master Jesus. And now the lordship salvation thing makes no, this debate makes no sense. Why would anyone who's a Christian not want to be an apprentice to Jesus? He's worth everything. The musician's going to come. Brandon, you come and lead us in a time of response. I, I know, like, like, as he's making his way up, can you put up verse 18? I, immediately they left their nets and followed. That's what Peter and Andrew did. James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I think the boat represents financial security. 
the father represented relational security. These disciples realized Jesus. It's not that they never saw dad again. We have a record. They, they made it back to people's homes. I mean, it's not like they, goodbye, dad. It's over between us. No, 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 no. But they left their financial security because they trusted Jesus more. They left relational security. They left their father because they trusted Jesus more. And you know, you know they had to at several points. We know this because they even talk like this. And some of you have felt this, and I hope this is encouraging to those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while. You know at some point along the way where Jesus has taken them, you know they had to go, what did we sign up for? Jesus is not taking us at all where I thought he'd go. I thought we were going to go straight to Rome and be a conquering hero. What's all this suffering in it, right? They had no idea what to expect. If you sat down with a seven-year-old, can you imagine sitting down with a seven-year-old saying, Honey, I want you to write me an essay on what it is like to fall in love and get married. Go. Seven-year-old writes it out. You read it and you go, Okay, this is not close. Why? You see, because a seven-year-old has no way of knowing what it's like to fall in love and be married. It is so far removed. She can never get her head around that. And that's how it is when you start following Jesus. You have no idea where he's going to take you. you. You have no idea what he's going to do in your life. So the question is not, are you going to, it's just, what are you going to do today? Are you an apprentice to Jesus? Are you willing to be changed by him? Are you willing to make other people apprentices to Jesus? Because it, it, uh, be honest, when Jesus says, I'm going to follow you, he's going to take you to some scary places, guys. And in that moment, you got a choice. you got to trust or not. And Jesus is going to say, I don't want you to turn to the right or to the left. I don't want you to go back. I don't want you to give up. I want you to stick with me and take all the disappointments and the injustices and people are persecuting you. You bring all that to me. You just stay with me. Even when I take you through a place, you're going to go, Lord, why are you taking me here? Even there, I want you to trust me. And for some of you right here this morning in your life, if you were honest, you would say your rabbi Jesus has taken you to some dark places and you're crying out to him, Lord, do you even know what you're doing? Why are we here? What are you doing? Trust him. You say, that's hard. It is. And all I know to tell you is this. Your rabbi Jesus is never going to ask you to do anything that he himself has not already done. Say, prove it. I can. I can prove it. He asked Peter and Andrew to leave the financial security of their boat when he himself had just left the ultimate safety and security of heaven's throne room. And he came and became a baby in a manger in Bethlehem in the midst of a hostile Roman empire. He's asking them to leave their security when he had just become poor. And what did he ask James and John to do? James and John, he asked them to leave their earthly father when he himself had just left his heavenly father to come, to live, to die for us and our salvation. And that's why you can follow him. And he went all the way to the darkest place. He went to the cross and the tomb, but he went out, came out the other side. And we follow him through the cross, through the tomb, out the other side. He's not going to lead you anywhere. He is not already there. And lo, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. So 
I think the invitation is very clear. If you are not yet his apprentice, repent and believe because the kingdom is at hand. Intend today, right now, to be his apprentice. Run to the altar like a track star if that helps you. Kneel down. Say, Lord, I want to be your apprentice. Could be that you, right where you are, you intend. Ask him, Lord, make me your apprentice. Sign me up for the school of Jesus starting right now. Okay. And if you are a disciple, then your invitation is clear. While Brandon sings, I want you to offer a thanksgiving offering of praise to God. I want you to tell him with your heart, God, thank you for letting me be an apprentice. This is a chance of a lifetime. And somehow, somebody share with me the gospel and the good news, and somehow, even me, even me, I get to be an apprentice to the King of Kings. I want you to thank him with everything you've got. Thank him. Offer him a thanksgiving offering of praise that he let even you and me be a disciple. Let's pray. God, grant to us a fresh joy of being called disciple. And God, grant to us that we would stay in the school. I know there's some apprentices that need some encouragement this morning, that they would not give up. And God, if anyone has not yet intended to become an apprentice, let today be that day, Lord. They sign on. Repent and believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.